Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, so it's great to be with you today. So it's awesome in February when it's 60. I'll take that. It's really beautiful. So, And I really appreciate you being here Um We've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and if you're new to us today, um, I'll catch you up on what you've missed so far. If you're new, uh, we'd love to either meet you, I'll be up front after the service, or you can talk to somebody in Parkview Connect out in the foyer, but really glad that you're here with us. So um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 or use the app on your phone or any device. Um, Also, you got a bulletin when you came in, there's an outline there you can follow along. So Nehemiah was a guy that lived about 25 hundred years ago. And um, we've been learning some amazing things from this book of the Bible about him. He uh, was just a guy working a job. He wasn't a priest or a prophet. He was a cupbearer to the king of Babylon. And so he was about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And one day on the job, he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were down, which means bad things for God's people. There was no protection, no security. Uh, And so what was especially painful about that is that Jerusalem was supposed to be the place where God just elevated his name and his glory and just proved his greatness and goodness to his people. And so there was some shame then being brought to the name of God. And so that crushed Nehemiah's heart. You could see that Nehemiah was a man who stood close enough to God that the things that bothered God bothered Nehemiah. And so for four months, he prayed and he fasted. And one day in front of the king, again, who is not a fan necessarily of Jerusalem, not a fan of the Jews, the king said, why are you sad? And he'd been trying to cover it up all these times. He just couldn't anymore. And so he gave a big request. Like, could I get time off work? Could you uh, endorse me going back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, which had been a flip of his foreign policy? Could you just just laid it out there, risking his life, at least risking his job? And so in a response to his big prayers, God granted his prayer. And the king said, yep, I'll give you an endorsement. I'll give you equipment. I'll give you the materials to build a wall. I'll send my troops to go with you, and I'll give you the time off. Go. So everything he asked for was amazing. So then you see him step in in chapter 3, and he mobilizes a huge group of people that really had been living in squalor and, and organized them around different parts of the wall. And so the wall would have been about a mile in circumference. It would have been on average about 39 feet high, about 10 feet wide. So it's a big project, but not big enough that when you woke up in the morning, you could kind of see the progress. You could look around and see all the different families, and how are they doing, and oh no, guys, we're a little behind, let's go, let's catch up. So there's a real camaraderie, excitement, and they're going full steam building the wall. We hit chapter four, and we saw there was just wave after wave of opposition. This book is so real that it's just like when you get all pumped, or your family gets all pumped to go running hard after God, the Christian life is not a stroll into the end zone, right? You're not going to get in with a clean jersey and uniform there's going to be grass stains and mud and blood and sweat it's hard and so how did nehemiah lead these people through opposition we see that basically he kept pointing them to the greatness and goodness of god that no matter what was coming their way they kept working forward they battled fear by looking at the greatness and goodness of god chapter five and either even greater challenge came at them and it was from from within the ranks that the people were divided that some people were exploiting their teammates. 
And that's devastating. We talk about how sometimes we can be selfish and how we can use people and manipulate people instead of contending together for a greater cause. And so, and so we saw Nehemiah address that. And then in chapter 6, we see that they finished the wall in 52 days. Like that is phenomenal. Job over. And you would expect Nehemiah would mic drop, you know, bat flip, just kind of walk off and say, it's what I came to do, everybody. And here I am. I'm just going back, going back to Jerusalem. The wall's done. But what's fascinating is from the wall was mentioned about 25 times all the way up to the end of chapter 7. But then from chapter 8 to the end of chapter 12, there's nothing about the wall. Like, if this were my book, I'd be like, the, the wall, remember the wall, remember the wall I did? Like, just, I'd be mentioning the wall, making sure Nehemiah the wall, like, all that would be in there. But what you see is what Nehemiah's true heart was. It wasn't just to build a wall, but it was to build up God's people. And you needed a wall so they could be confident, so they could be secure. But now the real work was beginning. And so we, as we've been going through this, like we're not as a church building a wall. We've done a berm, right, to protect against floods. But like our immediate task isn't to build a wall around Parkview or Iowa City. But we've said our immediate task as a church is to come together and to extend the gospel together in one of the five least biblically minded cities in the country. There's a challenge to what we're doing to extend God's goodness and his greatness, to be bold, to be courageous, to to walk through opposition and to do this together is a huge calling and challenge. So we've been taking direct applications from Nehemiah to our situation. And so today, the punchline of the morning is the statement, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'll, I'll be completely honest, that's a phrase I've heard a lot when I was a little kid, there was kind of, I hate to call it cheesy, but there was a cheesy little song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, it was just like, so what does that mean? It's one of those things, what's that mean? Like I even looked it up this week and the definition it got was the gladness of heart that comes from knowing God. Like I just, I, don't, I still don't get gladness of heart. Like what's, what's that mean? And so, but that's the punchline of, of Nehemiah 8, that as Nehemiah's focus is now to build up the people, He's going to build us up around that true statement that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we're to be a people that moves forward and just shows this city, that shows the nations that God is great and good, then we need the joy of the Lord to be our strength. So we're going to unpack that together. So I'm pretty pumped to do it. So let's pray. And um, before I do, could you pray? And I know we've come in here from a variety of weeks or we've got things coming up this afternoon, it'd be very easy to be distracted. Could you ask God right now to speak clearly to you and to show you what the joy of the Lord is my strength means? Could you just ask him to teach you that? And then could you pray for me that I would speak clearly that God's truth would, would come through this sermon, that you wouldn't hear from me, but you'd hear from the Bible, you'd hear from God this morning. God, we love you. We thank you that you're God who loves to meet with your people. So speak to us today and, and help us really embrace that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In your great name we pray. Amen. So if you have a Bible, Nehemiah 8.1, you can look on your phone, any device you have. Um, we're just listening. The verses will be on the screen as well. So let me read Nehemiah 8.1 through 8. It says that all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, okay, when you hit a passage like this, just put your head down and read confidently, okay? So beside him stood Methathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseah on his right hand, and Pediah, Meshael, Melchijah, Hashem, good luck here, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Mashulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. As he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Serbiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Masaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites, you're welcome, okay, uh, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book of the law, from the, from the law of God clearly, and they, gave, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. You know, Nehemiah 8 is a pastor's dream, okay? These people craved hearing the word of God preached. If you got this, they stood there, they stood for six hours. Don't talk to me about my 40-minute sermons, right? So six hours, these people were craving to hear God's word. Again, these people, you would think, you know, they just put this wall up in 52 days. They could have been high-fiving, celebrating. But there's a craving from these people. They want to hear the word of God. They want to hear from God. They say to Ezra, bring the book, okay? So, um, and again, Nehemiah didn't just walk off and say, good job, we're all done here. But he brought his teammate, Ezra. Ezra was a priest. He was an amazing teacher. Ezra and Nehemiah were teammates. In fact, in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book of the Bible. So these guys were teammates. Nehemiah knew he had leadership abilities, but he brought in Ezra who had teaching abilities. And it was time for the people to hear from God's word. They estimate that 50,000 people gathered. And so some of those would have been people living in the city. Some of those would have been God-fearers living in all the surrounding villages. But now that there was a wall, there was a safe place where they could gather. No PA system. So they're huddling close. Like sometimes I feel like I'm too close sitting in some of these chairs next to somebody. Like personal space is just gone. You got 50,000 people standing for a whole half a day, six hours in the heat of the Middle East because they're craving hearing the word of God. Bring out the book they said in verse 2, bring out the book. So I just see a couple of things here. You see active listening and you see hungry hearts. Okay, they, they wanted to hear from God. So just imagine for some of these people, this is their first time to even do this. Like this is something that maybe we're accustomed to and it's something that you look throughout history, you look throughout the Bible, that God's people gather. That, that's part of our rhythm is that we gather to hear God's word spoken, 
and then to reply, to praise him, to sing to him. So even as we're doing this this morning, there's God fear is doing that throughout Iowa City. There's God fear is doing this throughout the world. Gather to hear God's word and, and to praise him. So, but for many of these people, they've lived in exile. They've lived in squalor. They've never been secure with a wall. This is maybe their first time to experience this, to experience hearing the word of God read and, and to have 50,000 of us all gathered ready to hear this. And so, and so they're hungry for the word of God. You also look at how they did it. They did it in big groups and they did it in small groups. So you had Ezra and his team from the platform proclaiming the truths, explaining the truths from the first five books of the Bible. But then in verse 7, there was a second group of people that kind of mingled around the people in smaller groups. And the whole goal here was that the truth would be understood. And so, so we try to do that in our strategy too. We'll have mornings like this where we gather and we all hear the same thing preached to all of us, different ages, different backgrounds, all coming together to say, what does God say to us? But then it's important throughout the week to have those other places where you're in smaller context with people. And if you have a question, somebody can, can point out an answer to you. And bottom line, what we'll get to is that what God is after when people listen to his word is that he wants us to understand it. He wants us to get it. And when you look in the Hebrew, to, to know something in the Hebrew culture wasn't just to have it in your head. It wasn't like, could I pass a true-false test about who God is or who isn't? But really, the way you really knew something in the Hebrew culture was that you did it. You didn't just know it, but you did it. So they taught in big groups and in small groups, and their goal was to make it clear. They wanted people to understand. And so Ezra was an amazing teacher. He's the right guy to bring in, because listen to the description of how Ezra lived his life. In Ezra 7.10, it says this, that Ezra set his heart to the study of the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes in Israel. That's, that's the model for us. God wants us to, to study his words, to do them, and then to teach them. And, and so Ezra was such a powerful teacher because that was his, that's how he rolled. That's how he, he, he lived his life as, as a teacher. So let's just pause for a second and just, we got to ask ourselves, do we see that same kind of hunger to hear from God in, in, our, in our lives? I just think that there's a variety of ways we could start our day. Uh, hitting snooze button might be some of us, right? Maybe repeated snooze button. That's, or do you start with going, Let's, I've got to go work out. And, so, and that's a healthy rhythm. For me, that gets me going in the morning. So maybe it's go and work out. Maybe it's have a breakfast. Maybe it's just start jumping into your to-do list for the day. Start hammering some things out. Maybe it's taking care of the kids. Maybe it's getting carpools all lined up. But but somewhere in the launch of your day, is there a moment where you just acknowledge a craving to hear from God? I, I just wonder, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know all the details of what it's going to be like when we meet God someday. And if he were to show us, I don't know, maybe he's too kind to do this, but if he could show us two kinds of days throughout our lives, there were the days that we just woke up and just went into our day and just kind of did our thing. <laughs> And then I think he could say, well, so how did that go for you? Like, let's, let's kind of look at those days and see if there's some trending in those days. Like, how did you treat people in those days? How patient were you in those days? How, where did you get angry in those days? Where did you say things you wish you hadn't said? 
versus the days where you start your day and somewhere in those early moments of your day, you hear from God. You hear his promises. You hear his warnings. You hear his reminders of his love for you, his presence with you. And then if you could just track those days, how did those days go for you? I just think one thing I'm really drawn to in these people in Nehemiah 8 is a, is a hunger and a craving to hear from God. Yeah, we just put a bunch of walls up, but this city isn't going to go anywhere unless we really hear from God. I, um, there's Sunday mornings where I get here and I'm still trying to put sermon together. Um, this morning, I just felt like, well, we're talking about God's word. I got to make sure I have some time in God's word first. And I was in Psalm 81 this morning. It's perfect. God said this. In Psalm 81, God says, I wish that my people would listen to me, but they do not, and they follow their own counsel. But if they follow me, they will open their mouths wide, and I will fill them, and I will provide honey from a rock. Like, that's pretty amazing. Like, rock, a hard thing. Like, how in the world? But God says, I'm going to bring them good things even out of hard things. I'm going to satisfy them. Their mouths open wide. I will satisfy them. I just wish my people would listen to me. I just wish my people would hear from me. That's the heart of God, is that he loves it when his kids just can't wait to hear from him, when there's a hunger, when there's a hunger to be in his presence. I, um, I did a quick study this week on uh, what are the factors that cause a pastor to fall into like moral failure? What is it that just looking at, okay, if the leaders of our movement are, are pastors and the guys at the, at the top, the leading the movement, are falling off, like what's causing them to fall off? And the two biggest factors were, number one, a lack of intimacy with God. They just kind of lost a hunger or a craving to hear from God and that they were isolated. It was just kind of them alone. And what you see here in Nehemiah 8 is kind of the opposite direction, to be strong and to follow God, come what may, in one of the fifth least biblically-minded cities in the country where people are not going to get you, they're going to criticize you. It's Plus, you're battling your own selfishness and our own junk, and we're just trying to follow God and do it well. Um, we, need, we need intimacy with God where we're hearing from Him, and then we need people around us that are helping us understand God's word. Understand means doing it, not just comprehending, but doing it. And so if we're trying to fly through this life without time with God and his word and with people around us helping us apply it, we're in trouble. We're not, we're not going to make it, all right? So, so right away, we just see this craving, let's go positive again, like just a, a hunger for God's word that we see in these people. But then let's look and see where the joy is going to come. Okay, where's the joy of the Lord? Is my strength coming? It's coming now, okay? So these people were hungry for the word. Now we're going to see them rejoicing in the word. Okay, verse 9, it says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and, and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. First of all, you got to go, okay, what's happening? I thought these people were so excited to hear from God and 50,000 people all packed in, listening for six hours. Why are they sad? Like, why are they grieving? What's going, what's going on here? And so let's, let's be honest for a second about the Bible. What's the Bible do to us? Uh, sometimes I feel like we run to the Bible like it's going to be just one nice saying after another, or one precious moments poster after another, just like all strung together, like, you are special, you're a snowflake, God loves you, like, whatever, like, all these, just all these just pat you on the head and just get you going, okay? Uh, Let's be honest, if you really read the Bible, it's going to rough you up a little bit, right? It's going to rough you up. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living, and it's active, and it's like a two-edged sword. Like, it just cuts right through into the real part of us, gets into our hearts, gets into our motives, it exposes us for who we really are. And I don't know that we like that. I mean, there's so many ways that when there's crud going on in our lives, we don't like to show that. We just hide it. We just stuff it down. And so you can fool your friends. You can fool your family. But if you're really going to step before God and, and hear from him, he sees it all. Okay? And so one of the roles of God's word is to expose, is to expose our heart. Don't you hate it on those days like... Um, where let's say you get home at the end of the day and you look in the mirror and you got a big old hunk of like broccoli that's been stuck between your teeth and it's like flapping it's dangling like it's obvious it's not like oh if you look close you can see it there's like it's like a small tree between your front teeth and you think back and you go when did i have broccoli it's like i had it on lunch and then you just think through like the whole day dang it i was around this person that person they had to have seen it like, why didn't they tell me? You know, like, just at the end of your day, and just like, come on. But, but like, so God, God, you know, you say, why didn't you guys care about me? Why didn't you tell me? Just to flick off, chop down the tree, get it out of my teeth. You know, just say something to me. I gave a presentation today. I spoke, you know, like, just all those thoughts. But let's look at who God is. The book of James says that when you read the Bible, it's like looking at the mirror. It's like first thing in the morning, you look at the mirror, not many of us like what we see, right? There's got to be some immediate changing. So the Bible is like that. When you open it up, God exposes our hearts. And that can be, that can be kind of rough because we've got to come to grips with who we really are. And so imagine these people, 50,000 of them, like they had never heard, many of them had never heard God's word proclaimed. And so there's an excitement. We get to hear from God. But then as you read through, they read through the first five books, from the first five books, there were just many things that would have just started ripping their hearts. Like, for example, um, there's times in, in those five books where God says, if you obey me, if you follow me, I will bless you. You will be a light to the nations. Like, it will, you will stand out. But if you disobey me, I'm going to give you up to what you want to do. And there will be curses and even predictions of, of invasion and exile. And can you imagine just how how that would have nailed you because you're standing in the middle of a once glorious city and now there's just a bunch of rubble. You're in the wake of the consequences of disobedience. Maybe you've even been living in exile. Maybe a lot of people that you love have been in exile. This is raw. 
because they're seeing this. Like sometimes we trivialize, oh yeah, if I don't follow God, it might go bad for me. I mean, these people are just in the middle of it, okay? Or it could be, you know, they've just been on a high where they've seen God do amazing things in 52 days, like some of the most historic accomplishment evidence of God in the midst of people ever. But then they're reading through Exodus where God just led his people through the Red Sea parting. And shortly after that, they start complaining and whining and looking for other gods. That had to just pierce them because like, that's me. Like I've been putting this wall up with everybody and it's clear God's here, but man, I've been whining about this whole thing. Or I've been complaining about, we got a bigger part of the wall than they did. And just like, I just think they're, they just got exposed for their sin. And guys, that's, I gotta, I gotta, if you've not read the Bible much, like that, that's gonna happen. There have been so many times where I open the Bible to read in the morning and there's mornings where God fires me up and he gives me things. I'll be honest, there's mornings where he'll just nail me. And he said, you know that conversation you had with somebody yesterday? I think you were a jerk. Like, I think you need to, I think you need to go back to that. And it hurts. And, and, and that's, that's why there's grieving um, he said, but Doug, I thought you were going to talk about the joy of the Lord is my strength. It, it is, because what happens then is you see, the, you see Nehemiah and Ezra and the priests saying, don't grieve, don't grieve. Like, oh, I can't help it. I'm just, I've been exposed by God's word. I see my own sin and selfishness. How can I not grieve? Don't grieve, because the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Did you see where they said um, to go, uh, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, He's basically saying whatever your favorite food is that you so rarely get to have because it's costly and hard to prepare, he's saying just go do that. Like go feast, go have a party right now. And so they're in a season here of uh, the Day of Atonement is right around here. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The Feast of Booths is right around here. That comes from Book of Leviticus. That's right around here. But there was basically a season where God's people were supposed to remember that in spite of our sin, God moves toward us. And so, if anything, I bet these priests were saying, hey, remember the other parts that we heard in the Bible too. Remember in Genesis, and I'm sorry, if you haven't read the Bible much, I'm going to refer to some things, and I don't, I don't mean to leave you out, but I think I'm just trying to give you their context here, that there was a time where Abraham was about ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, and at the last second, God provided a ram to take Isaac's place. Or in Exodus, right before um, the parting of the Red Sea, when the Passover happened, like the Jewish families could protect the lives of the firstborn sons by, by offering a, a lamb in its place, in that boy's place, and that God preserved the life. Or if you look in, in Leviticus, the Day of Atonement was a day where God would take all the sins of the people and put them on one sacrificial lamb so that their sins would be forgiven. God is saying, okay, also look through those first five books of the Bible and see that the end of the story isn't your sin, but the story goes on, that we have a God who moves toward us in spite of our sin and offers us forgiveness. And so the way they were supposed to do that is after they commemorated the Day of Atonement, then they were supposed to have a feast. And so God says, I, I see your sin. I'm, I'm showing you your sin through my word, but I also want you to see that I'm a God who moves toward you in your sin. So when your sin's revealed, you don't have to hide it. You don't have to run from me. You run to me because I'm a God who loves to forgive that sin. And then on the other side of that, just to make sure you know that we're good and that you're forgiven, is let's have a party together. 
Let's feast together. Let's bring the best food out. Let's spend six days celebrating that that's the God that I am. That's the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because the joy of the Lord is bringing sinful people like me. I'm first in this room, the worst sinner. You guys fight for number two, whoever that is. But God says, my joy is taking sinful men and women, students, and just bringing them to me. That brings me joy. And so you see that in Luke 15, there was a time where Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and all the religious people say, why are you hanging around them? And Jesus told a couple stories of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And at the end of the coin and sheep story, it says that in heaven there is much rejoicing. There's a party in heaven when only one, even one sinner repents and their sins are forgiven. That's, there's joy in heaven. And even in the story of the prodigal son, when the son who told his dad, I'm leaving you, it's basically like saying, dad, I wish you were dead, leaving him. When that son came to his senses and decided to come back to the father, the father ran to him, embraced him, forgave him, and then what? Had a party for him. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength, is that he loves to see sinners far from him be forgiven and then come and feast with him. That brings God joy. Even in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it talks about Jesus, uh, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. It says that while he was on the cross, it was the joy set before him that enabled him to endure the cross, even though he despised the shame. What was the joy set before Jesus as he hung on the cross? It was the joy of the Lord that sinners like me and you could be forgiven and then come into the presence of God. The joy of the Lord, that is, that is our strength. So that's our confidence. So what's going to help us leave today and whatever our situation is today, walk it in confidence and boldness and joy and generosity and sacrifice is going to be that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that God delights in people like me coming close to him and having a party with him because Jesus has taken care of our sins on the cross. It's a beautiful picture. And so we go to the end of the chapter. Let me just make sure we're doing okay here. Yeah, we're good. Okay, so 13 to 18, let's do this. So now, now God's people have heard his word. They've hungered for his word. Now they start to get, what is the joy of the Lord is my strength? They enjoy the word. Now they're going to really put the word to practice. Okay, verse 13. On the second day, so that first day, all this happens. Six hours preaching, bawling. Now joy of the Lord is your strength. Go to feast. Okay, second day. You think they take a week off after all that, but no, they're, they're going strong. Okay, second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. They weren't done. They wanted more. They wanted to hear more truth. Verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths, think tents when you hear booths, during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. 
and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Okay, so what's going on here is uh, the people want more. Okay, keep giving us truth. And as they continued to search God's word, there was one thing they had neglected to do as a people. And that was this feast of booths. Basically, that was a time where they would set up tents and live in those tents. So the tent could have been on the roof of their house. They had flat roofs. In case you're wondering, how do you do that on a pitch roof? So flat roofs or on a balcony or in a courtyard. But they would, for a week, would live in a tent. And that would remind them of the days that God's people took them through the promised land. Again, if you're new to the Bible, there was a time where for about 40 years, God led his people through a wilderness to a promised land. And in those days, they lived in tents. And what God wanted them to remember in this Feast of Booths is that even though they lived in tents, even though they had been promised things but weren't living in that promise yet, that God was with them, that God fulfilled his promises, that God was with them, provided for them, protected them, and they made it to the promised land. So that was a message to them. That was a visual reminder to them that even though there are some things promised to you right now that you're not walking in, God is with you. And so you can live in the joy of the Lord is my strength because God God is with you. And so as they obeyed and as they, they practiced what God had told them to practice, practice this feast of booze, they constantly reminded themselves as they obeyed that God is with us. We've got a long way to go. We just put a wall up around a city. There's still a lot of rubble. We still have a city to rebuild. We're not there yet. We're not like with what God has promised us. But God is, is with us. God has not left us. God will be faithful to fulfill his promises. And what a great truth for us that as you, again, as you hunger for God's word, as you're reminded that God moves towards sinners, that he forgives your sin, that he is with you, that he wants to feast with you, that you're reminded that throughout this journey of your life, that God is with you. In a sense, in a sense, you're living in a tent. Okay, you might have a sweet house or whatever and not live under a canopy or a tent, but, but compared to what God has for you, in the future, this is nothing. And so even now as you're walking and there's hardship and there's disease and sickness and you lose jobs and all the things that can happen to us, God is still with us. And so obeying God, doing what God calls us to do constantly reminds us of that. It reminds me of what Jesus said in, in John 15. Um, I'm sorry, John 14, where Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will show myself to him. Verse 23, if anybody loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. So it is true that God will never leave you or forsake you, but those days in your life where you are hearing from God and doing what he says, those are the days, Jesus says, where he will reveal himself to you. And that he and the Father will make their home with you. Their presence will be felt. And again, I just I invite you sometime to just kind of, if you could, uh, look back at your life. And the days that you just won it and did your thing versus the days where you sought God, you listened to God, and you did what he said. Those are two dramatically different days. Like, and it's not even all by the circumstances. There could be hard days on this side and that side. But in the hard days over here, you were so aware of God's presence with you that even though it was hard, you were calm. Even though you, you saw no end in sight, you still had hope because Jesus was revealing himself to you. I am with you. I am with you. So what kind of week 
do you want to step into this week? Like just kind of wing it on your own? You have no idea what's coming your way this week. Or do you want to be a church, a people who listen to God, who crave God's word, who stand on the truth that God, um, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and he loves to forgive sinners and feast with us. And then as we obey him, he's going to go with us as we walk through our little tent and, and keep moving toward our, our permanent home. This week, I got a call uh, from a guy, and uh, he was about 10 minutes away. He was driving to Minneapolis, about 10 minutes away from stepping into his, the home he grew up in. And his mom, who had been battling cancer, looked like out of the woods, just recently, boom, like and maybe a week to live kind of thing. And he's like, so what do I do? What do I say to him? You can tell he, he even was grieving. So what do I say? So we just talked about it. I said, I, and his parents are brand new, brand new believers. So what do we do? I said, you got to cling to what's true. You've got to just get some verses out and just start reading about heaven. Just start reading about eternity. And just and grieve, just like you're grieving now, grieve with them. But keep reminding them what is absolutely true. Reminding them of what is permanent, what is going, what their hope is. And so, and so that's, what, that's what obeying God's word is for us. That come what may, whatever we're facing, that God reminds you, I am with you. And I am walking with you. And church, we're going to need this. Like for us to faithfully and successfully continue to extend the gospel into the city, it is not going to be easy. And for us to do it together, we're going to need to be a people that just crave God's word, that just understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and then who diligently put God's word to practice. So again, the two disciplines, make sure there's times in your week where you personally are, are listening to God, hearing from him, and make sure there are places in your in your week or at least in your month where you're around other people, not just to learn more in your head, but where you can be real. This is what our whole community group structure is meant to be, a place where you can admit, this is what God says, but I'm not doing it. Could you pray for me? Could you help me? Could you encourage me? Could you exhort me to put this book into practice? And, and, and that is what's going to give us the strength so we can truly live up to the joy of our strength. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.